I, I would never build a horse bike again. That may sound strange, but that was 20 years ago. And what we know now is, and, and what I think we really have to look at, is that people living with dementia have a right to stay included in society. And uh, so the emancipation of dementia, the inclusiveness of people living with dementia is, I think, what we should strive for the next years. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Ash, your host. And I hope you're having a great day out there. Mine is just getting started. It's a bit overcast, but I'm not going to let that bog me down. We've got an interview today that I've been looking forward to for a while with Jonet Spearing from Be Advice and also from the Hulkeveik in the Netherlands. Now, you might not recognize the name, but you probably know the story. The Hulkeveik has been described as the Dementia Village, which is a name that Jonet and the team don't really like. But it's received a lot of attention for its mission of creating a normal life for people living with dementia in their neighborhood. They do all sorts of fantastic stuff in the Hulkeveik to ensure that residents can retain their freedom and have a fulfilling life with support from the care teams. With restaurants, a supermarket, and the freedom for residents to walk around the neighborhood by themselves, Yonet and the team pioneered this approach in the 90s. Hey, did you know that we're fast approaching the end of 2021? It feels a little bit weird to say, but I wanted to let you know that we're doing something kind of special throughout December. In the three weeks before Christmas, we'll be featuring some shorter, bite-sized episodes each Tuesday and Friday, talking about one aspect of Christmas and the holidays, and a few little bonuses thrown in there too. It'll be a little bit of fun, and we'll get us all in the spirit for the end of year. But back to the episode at hand, I'm very excited to present this conversation with Yonet Spearing. Enjoy. Well, Yonet, thank you so much for joining us in the program today. Hi, Ash. Nice to have you here with us and uh, calling in all the way from Holland. We were just talking about the, the connection might be a bit dodgy. It's like those two cans with the piece of string going between it. it might be a little yeah. bit long going across the world, right? Let's see how it will work. I'm sure some of our listeners will be aware of you and your work. But for those who aren't, could you maybe take us back and, and explain who you are and, and what you do? Yes, I have actually been working all my career on how to make environments, organizations, whatever comes to life, better for people living with dementia. And actually, the biggest change began in 1993 already. When I sat down with, with the management team, I was a member of Friden, and we asked ourselves that very crucial question, which was the start of everything. How do you think you would like to live once you become affected by dementia? Well, it seems a very simple question and the answer isn't that difficult as well, because we said we just want to go on with our lives. So from then, I started working on the concept of normal life for people living with um, dementia. And I've been doing that till today. I, and maybe we will come to that during our conversation, but I was able to commission the build of the Hoogwijk, 
a community for people living with severe dementia. I became CEO of All Nursing Home Care, of the care group that um, the Hoogweg belongs to. And as of two years, I'm an advisor on the concept of normal life for people with dementia. And I can use all the experience and the ups and downs, the pitfalls, but also the successes, uh, what change in this area means. Awesome. Well, let's jump into it. You mentioned it and, and I'd love to talk about it. What is the Hoogweg? The Hoogweg is actually a kind of neighborhood, a community. Mm. We have 27 houses and in every house, uh, six to seven residents live together. So in total, we have about 170 residents. They live in a normal house, well, a Dutch normal house. And uh, everyone has his own private bedroom. Uh, we have, of course, bathrooms. There is a big living room with a uh, fully equipped kitchen. There is a place where you can do the laundry. So well, it's a self-containing household. Mm -hmm. The Hoogweg is built because we designed it 20 years ago and that were the regulations right then. It's built as if the walls of all the houses and the amenities, they form the safe environment. Mm. So there is one entrance you can come in and you go out and that is looked after by the receptionists. And that is because we, the, uh, due to Dutch law during that time, we had to keep people inside. Mm. People living with dementia were not allowed to go outside by their own. So we thought let's create a community with lots of freedom. So we have 15,000 square meters and we just built half of it was built upon and the rest is gardens, streets, uh, we have a lovely theater square with a big fountain. You can you can wander around wherever you want, whenever you want, not being accompanied by a carer. You can just go on your own because that was one of the big um, things that we uh, thought about during the design: freedom to go wherever you want, where whenever you go, mm. and that freedom also gives you the opportunity to socialize. Mm -hmm. Because if you walk outside and you walk through a neighborhood and you pass by the restaurant, what we have, and where you can have lunch or dinner, whatever you want as a resident, if you dine out, most of the time people eat in their own houses, but you can also dine out in the restaurant with your family or with the people you live in in that house. When you pass that restaurant, people will recognize you. You can have a coffee um, or a glass of wine. Um, you walk by some of the club rooms. We have uh, a club room for the more crafts-like clubs that we have, or we have the Mozart room for the classical music club or the reading club or the theater where we have our concerts. So if you walk around in that neighborhood with all these amenities, or if you go to do the groceries, or if you have to do the groceries, you go to our supermarket, mm. you, you have normal things to do and you will meet people outside. And we see a lot of moments that people connect with one another. Those are very valuable moments. That interaction between people, that is what we crave for ourselves as we are healthy also mm. the most. And that is still part of your life, even if you become affected by dementia and you have to move into, in our case, the Hoogweg, where only people with severe dementia in the last stages of their lives, almost um, for two years, live. 
and everyone who lives in Hoogwijk will pass away in Hoogwijk. Mm. So that's all the things you can do there. That creates a kind of a normal environment and we will be there to support you during the day. It's so amazing to to hear that and, and think about the institutionalized model and, and you started by saying, yeah, you can come and go as you please and you can wander and go for a walk and see friends. And and I was thinking about if you start getting up and going for a walk in some institutions, then you're labeled wandering and that's a symptom that that needs to be addressed and yes. perhaps be medicated for wandering. Yes. And we might be anxious that you that you might fall mm. and uh, that you will break your hip, mm. and uh, which, which is of course a serious accident. But we talked a lot about that in relation to freedom. But what we say, well, those are calculated risks. Uh, we know that giving freedom or having freedom also can be risky. Uh, last year, I I, um, I broke my ankle because I put my foot in the wrong spot in the tarmac. And it can happen to me and it can happen to everyone. And it's part of your life. Mm. And that part of your life stays with you. Also, if you have to move to an environment because you can't cope at home anymore. Yeah. And of course, we have to look very careful in how we can mitigate these risks as much as possible, of course. But there always will stay risks. That's part of life. But there are no more incidents in the Hoogwijk with people falling and breaking a hip or, or something else than in other nursing homes. Mm. So it's not the environment. It's part of life. Sometimes, of course, it's also part of, of getting old and people tend to trip. But the counterpart of giving freedom in relation to risk is that if you exercise uh, your muscles every day, if you are able to walk around, um, if that makes you more hungry because you are outside and if you are um, sitting down for lunch, you're really hungry because you have been uh, uh, outside all day, you will eat better, you will uh, be in a better condition. So uh, freedom also gives you the opportunity to age more healthy. Mm. So that's why we say it's calculated risk. Mm. Fantastic. That's a really great summary. Thank you. And going back to 1993 and, and maybe 1991, 1992, the, the immediate period preceding that conversation, you said that kind of changed the direction of the care that you were part of. What was it that was the catalyst for that change? Why the desire to change at that point? Well, there was a great dissatisfaction among residents. We then called them patients about everything about daily life, about the food, about uh, their garments not coming back from the laundry, visiting hours, having no privacy. Their life really was not that good. So they really mm. complained about that, family complained. Uh, we were getting some competition because another nursing home was being opened um, some kilometers from us. And we were worried that our staff would go to them. And we did not have a waiting list, so we were not that popular. And we ourselves were not satisfied. So putting that all together was the reason why we sat down. Whoa, we think we have to do something mm. because otherwise no one will be happy and we maybe no longer have a chance to exist. So that actually was the reason why. And if we looked at our uh, top 10 of complaints, People were not so much complaining about the doctors and the care they were receiving, but it was about living their lives. 
Uh, and imagine yourself if you have to live in a nursing home. I hope when you become that old that they will have found a cure. But as long as there's no cure, we have to make a life for people living with dementia much more agreeable than in some places we are doing it right now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's that's fantastic. I think it's quite interesting that there would be many numerous other organizations around the world that have encountered the same problems that, that you and the team encountered, but came up with very different solutions and perhaps ones that weren't as well-received or supportive or even brave as the ones that, that you took at, at the Hochevaik. In the beginning, we were a very traditional nursing home, just like all the nursing homes in the Netherlands. And we were based upon a medical model. And uh, that meant that we thought we could treat people with severe dementia in making them better or lessening the effects of dementia. But we did that only from a medical point of view and not from a holistic point of view, as we are seeing right now. When we thought that having the possibility to live your life like you want to do, but with professional support, because... Um, when you become affected by dementia, you can't structure your days that well. You need help in certain ways. So if we can go on with our lives with professional support in an agreeable environment, supported by people who understand what dementia means and who are willing to observe what's going on and not asking from the person living with dementia to adjust to the organization, but to just mm -hmm. to adjust the organization to them. Well, that might be a good idea. So we started transforming that uh, old building we still had in 1993 and changing the, the environment on the inside. So we redecorated the whole place. We made smaller groups. We had wards till then of 30 people and we uh, managed to get them to 10, 10 to 12, which mm -hmm. in my view now is still very large, but that was a start. And we started doing that in a pilot because, well, it was rather daring and we had to change all the organization. So hmm, doing it in one big bang was not that handy. So we started with a pilot and we tried to give that one year to experiment and to see what might become the outcome. But within a year, the whole organization was changed because the outcome of what we saw happening was so positive, not only for residents, but also for care workers. Also, well, for everyone who was involved, for volunteers and for family, because what happened was that when creating a normal environment and giving people attention and trying to, to mold the day around their moods and not having too many procedures and too many regulations. Well, bringing back normal life changed behavior of people. But still, of course, we have a challenging behavior, but challenging behavior really became less. Um, uh, the rate of medication and psychotics dropped dramatically because we had these smaller groups uh, there was not so much traffic inside um, these living rooms, so people were not that restless anymore. So a lot changed, a lot changed. Mm. And um, staff was not allowed to wear uniforms anymore. So actually, we deinstitutionalized the whole place and we transformed it in order to normalize. That's actually mm. what we did. And it sounds very easy, but we found out that 
doing normal in 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 healthcare is is quite difficult because of all the regulations the procedures and protocols and well whatever mm -hmm. but we also found out if you really want to do this well then it can be done it's not easy but in the end you will you will get something and um what we always say please do not copy the hoogwijk because if you live your life, you have to live it within your own norms, your own values. Mm. Uh, the environment in every country is different, so don't copy the architecture. But but look at our norms and values and try to implement that in your own environment. And then you will get your own outcome. And we've seen that it can be done in different countries. Well, with you in Australia. Uh, we were there with Natasha Chetwick when she started her microtown. We, we met a lot of people all around the world who took something with them. And we are always happy if it's just inspiration that they take away and the idea that you can change. Because we think we ought to change quality of life for people living with dementia and it can be done. And in that way, we are part of a, a bigger movement around the world, just as Paola Barberini said some, some weeks ago from Alzheimer's Disease International, the awareness, the, the movement, the change all around the world, that something different has to be done in this area. Mm. Well, I think we, we are in our own way. We are part of that too. This episode is sponsored by Ending Loneliness Together. I just felt a sadness inside. I've never spoken to anyone about feeling lonely. I've never spoken to my my family. I think I always try to show I'm well, especially to the kids. They'd never imagine that I felt lonely. Over 5 million Australians are lonely. While we all feel lonely from time to time, longer periods of loneliness are damaging to our health and well-being. Ending Loneliness Together is a national Australian charity with the vision to halve chronic loneliness by 2030. We all have a role to play in ending loneliness. Consider making a donation, becoming a member, or sharing your story with others. Go to www.endingloneliness.com.au for more information. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, nice to mention, Paula, that she was on the show a few weeks ago for us. You were mentioning there, for example, that the staff aren't wearing a uniform and that that would change the feel for the, the people who are living there. It would also change the feel for the staff as well, right? It would probably make it less of a, a clear-cut work and a clinical environment and much more of a person-to-person -person relationship. Yeah. How did that affect the, the staff feel? How did they embrace that? Well, it, it was also an experiment for them, of course, in the beginning. And we as management, we made perfectly clear what we thought that the goal should be. So we had that, that vision about normalization and we communicated that as best as we could with them. And we also said to them, well, you have to do, of course, some things during the day. Uh, you have to provide breakfast, lunch, dinner, you have to deal medication, you have to do the administration, but for the rest, go and see what makes <laughs> residents happy and what makes you happy. And in the beginning, to let go of the old task-approached way of work, that was also difficult for them yeah. because they were they were within that routine as having the beds made at ten, uh, sit down for coffee in a separate 
nursing station and then doing something, whatever. And now we, we, uh, we asked them to get rid of that old routine. Um, we kind of deleted the nursing stations because that's where nurses hide. And they have to be with residents and not apart from residents. So for them, it was a lot of change too. But very soon, they became aware that having that freedom, because that's all about freedom for your staff, and being able to let their professionalism work mm. as they liked it during the day, that was really satisfying for them. Mm. And they also saw, of course, the outcome. Their contact with residents became much better. Contact with family became much better. Family was not complaining all the time, but became partners in how can we do this? How can we tell you more about our dad or mom, who she is or who he is, so you can really adjust better to them in the way you take care of them? So there was a lot more of conversation, discussion, positive criticism, so it was a kind of, oh, it's kind of complete turnover, a very vibrant period. And uh, so that was for the workers and for management. It was, it had all to do with trust, with giving them mm. trust in doing what they were good at. And that's taking care of people and connecting with people and making their day well lived. So it was quite an experiment, but it came out really well for everyone. Yeah, it sounds like a very empowering way to treat the staff to say, we believe you know what the right thing to do is here. Go out and, and make people's lives better and not having to micromanage every minute and where they need to be and, and organize everything out for them. No, because you can't do that as management. Well, you can set the framework within uh, you ask them to do their job because it's not, well, let's just do whatever we want. Mm. It's within a very strict framework, a strict vision. But within that, you have a complete freedom. And as management, you have to realize that it's the carers or everyone in your organization, not just the carers, but also the gardener and people working, mm. well, in our case, in the restaurant or, or at the reception desk. Every moment that they have contact with someone who lives in, in the neighborhood, and you can make some some quality moments. Mm. You can't manage that. It's them who have to do that. Mm. And uh, so you have to let go of all that procedures and regulations and trust their professionalism. And of course, you have to... to if, if people do not know how to work within an environment like that, uh, but they are willing, we can teach you, we can educate you. But if you're not really into this kind of work and are more a task approach person, that's also fine. But well, then you have to find some other place to work mm. because that complete task approach has disappeared. And it's freedom, which also brings responsibility because as a team, you have to manage that household that we have. You have to manage the, the, the fact that you have a good menu and you have to manage the budget. You have to uh, communicate that all laundry will be done uh, during the day, that everyone is on time to go to the clubs they are a member of, because in our neighborhood, we have a normal life. So it, it's kind mm. of managing managing a household. And you must like to do that. Mm. But luckily, a lot of carers really love to do that. Um, moving moving forward to the present, and I know that you're doing a lot of consulting at the moment through your company, Be Advice. And last time we spoke, you were consulting with a company, with an organization in Heathcote in Victoria to set up their own community. 
What does it look like when you're you're going to help another community embrace some of the concepts you guys were using? Um, what we try to do, as I said earlier, is to try to make people aware of what can be done in relation to life for people with uh, living with dementia, how normalcy can be applied in environments, but also how you can change a complete organization. Um, how to deal with, with that culture change that is needed. So when people come and talk with us, it's actually that we try to inspire them by what we have done because, and everyone can understand what, what we have done. So that's, it's rather easy to do, to comprehend. And then how to operationalize that normalcy. That, that's actually what we talk about with people. And um, we've done that with many people from all over the world. And um, every time, what I always said, there is a different outcome because it's not our vision that is most important, but it's your own vision because you really have to believe in that change you are going to make because dedication will make it work for you. And it takes some guts and some energy and some endurance to get where you want to go. So mm. creating your own vision with our support. And we created a lovely instrument to structure all that thoughts and all the things you have to go through to that change our be advice paradigm. So we, we advise people, we support people, we are a sounding board. We don't implement because that's not for us, that's for the management. Mm -hmm. And that inspiration can vary from whole communities, um, uh, like you just mentioned, but care operators. I had a minister of pensions from the UK last week on visit, mm -hmm. big real estate investors, architects. Well, everyone is, who is interested in doing something in the area of changing life or quality of life for people living with dementia. Oh, fantastic. So do you think these sorts of ways of embracing change, that's the future of dementia care? Well, we, we have a model, our be advice paradigm, we call it, to be care concept. Mm -hmm. uh, we know of the Eden alternative. We know of butterfly, greenhouse models. There are all great models in relation to change for life for people living with dementia. We know that in, in the upcoming years, there will be a lot of people who will become affected by dementia mm. uh, due to the growing population, which will grow older. So what I, I would never build a whole bike again. That may sound strange, but that was 20 years ago. And what we know now is, and, and what I think we really have to look at, is that people living with dementia have a right to stay included in society. Mm. And uh, so the emancipation of dementia, the inclusiveness of people living with dementia is, I think, what we should strive for the next years. And of course, there will always stay a need for more safe environments like the Hoogweg um, uh, is, but that can also be in a normal neighborhood or in a normal uh, society mm. and not segregated from it. So that, that real integration is our next challenge. Uh, and that's a big challenge because uh, the stigma, Paola also talked about it, that stigma around dementia is immense. And I think that it's mostly because people do not know what dementia is and they fear confronting people or meeting people with dementia. Mm. But that stigma is something we have to work on because at this moment, society is not yet ready for people living with dementia. 
And so that is what I think is the biggest challenge that we have to that we are facing for the for the upcoming years. And it's not just the carers who have to take care for people living with dementia, but it's all of us that that formal network, as we call it, all these professionals, mm -hmm. but also the informal network, the volunteers, family, uh, the neighborhood, the community. We all have to embrace uh, well, everyone in our society, so also people living with dementia. And that's the next challenge I think we uh, we are facing. And what we do now in the Hoogewijk, we call it a reverse integration. So we bring people um, and children into the Hoogewijk to, to mingle with the people who live in the Hoogewijk. But actually, it should be the other way around. Mm. People living in the Hoogweg should mingle or should stay part of normal society. And we also must be aware that I, I think it would, we, we are facing a bigger challenge than the COVID pandemic, because what will also uh, will be a big uh, problem will be the workforce. We we mm. Nowadays, we don't have enough carers or work staff. Uh, and in the upcoming years, it will only become less in relation to the amount of people yeah. who will become affected by dementia. So, so we do not have a choice as society. We we have to do it together. Yeah. Do, do you think that these sorts of models are more intensive on the staff? That there are more hours, or there is a, a certain extra requirement placed upon the staff? Hmm. Well, we know we are aware that in the Netherlands we have a quite different schooling system and, and vocational training mm -hmm. for people who live with dementia. So people are really highly educated uh, in relation to, to other places around the world. In the Netherlands, it's not, not something extra burdensome to work for people living with dementia, because if you're well trained and know how to support people, then it's kind of really satisfying, uh, sometimes challenging, of course, but, but really satisfying. Hmm. If in those places where people uh, live with dementia, they are supported, we always try to stress on the fact that education is one of the first things that you have to look at. Uh, because if you do not have a knowledge on how to support people, how can we expect you to be a good carer? As organizations, we have a responsibility in giving you good training. Yeah. Not once, but we have to keep on doing that. Absolutely. Jonet, this has been really enjoyable and, and I've really liked hearing all about the Hockevake and, and your work. Where can people find out more about you and what you do. And that's a challenge. We <laughs> we did a lot of things very good, but not our uh, domain name. <laughs> I'll try to say it's, it's it's too long. It's www.bethecareconcept.com. There you can find us and uh, you can always contact us. Awesome. Well, Yonet, thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thank you, Ash. Bye-bye. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com adventures.com.au. See you next week.